Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm joined by the wonderful Paul Walter Hauser to talk all about his Apple TV Plus series, Blackbird. And the first thing I wanted to talk about is you, in playing a real person, actually had a very limited amount of visual detail to go off of in building him. There was really only kind of 10 or 20 seconds that you even were able to hear of his voice and what it sounded like to build that very specific cadence into your character. And so I was interested in in playing a real person and, and wanting to really capture the essence of them, how you channeled into that, particularly in the way that like the writing of the scripts gave you so much where maybe the research wasn't always available. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, listen, it was really tough to play Larry without all of the visual audio accoutrement. Uh, it, I think I just took the word accoutrement out of context. <laughs> I don't know if that totally lined up. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a regular guy trying to sound smart like Benedict Cumberbatch talking in an interview. Um, I, I, It was a hard role, and it would have been nice to have some more stuff to work with. On I, Tanya, there was like a 20-minute interview of my character with Diane Sawyer that was immensely helpful. It felt like a math book where the answers are in the back of the book and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to take a peek. That to me, that's what that is in preparation. If you have all these tools, it just makes it a lot easier and, and detailed. I had that in Richard Jewell too, where they sent me, you know, I had 15 hours of Richard Jewell stuff. Larry, not so much, but having the type of writing that Dennis Lehane does really allows it to feel like you know everything you need to know. Um, and so I really just tried to honor the, the, the stuff in the text and then, and then also use my own creativity of what can I, if, this, if I'm trying to make this guy human but creepy and, and paint with all these interesting colors of jet black and, uh, you know, orange, how am I, I going to do that? So between Dennis and my own brain, the hope is that you pull it off. Absolutely. And and in talking as well about the cadence of the voice, you know, that is something that you really created off of that brief segment of audio. And, and that is how he sounded. But what I think is so interesting about that is the detail of where his voice goes up a little bit and where it goes down a little bit based on if he's being really truthful or if he's kind of trying to garner sympathy and telling an untruth. And I was really fascinated in in where and how you landed on that specific decision to kind of play with the specific pitches in that way. Yeah, that, that was Dennis Lehane. He and I had a conversation where I the way I started Larry Hall in episode one and two, that was exactly how he sounded. Um, and then at one point I started to get a little high in episode three, but that also happens to be the episode where he's in prison. And so I was like, Dennis, am I screwing up? I think I thought the audio was way higher and it's actually not. And I'm, I'm losing the voice. And Dennis was like, no, 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 it makes sense because he's trying to pull off this fabrication and, and sort of, you know, smoke and mirrors in jail. And you actually get to have fun with it where you can play that note to the emotional component. And I was like, dude, yes, I'm, 
So I made that switch in episode three or four and used it to my advantage rather than what felt like my total detriment. And as an actor, you're in your head so much. So it's like, if you're not watching footage or dailies or uh, playback, it's like, you might not know you're doing something that you're doing and then you might hate that thing you're doing. And then you're like, oh my God, it's like a haircut. I can't put it back on the head. It's on the floor. Uh, (laughs) So that's like, it's kind of terrifying uh, doing that process, but I think we pulled it off. And, and Dennis is such a brilliant, smart, you know, guy. And he can, he can take your, your mess and kind of make it into something. And I mean, talking about the emotional component, one of one of the chilling elements in watching the show is that we do also really understand that this is a guy that just wants to be seen by the world in a way that he's not being seen and just has this deep seated need for love and for that to be reciprocated yeah. somewhere. Um, and I was interested in, in how you really wanted to tap into that and bring that element of humanity that kind of connects the audience, but then makes them feel uncomfortable that that's a connective tissue. You know what? have you you've probably done a lot of these types of interviews right yeah talk to a lot of actors a lot of actors have you heard them talk about how they're like well a piece of me is always in every Mm -hmm. role yeah I think some people say that or hear it and interpret it to mean uh I can't help but let pieces of me slip in uh in the choices like I can't fully disengage from myself I would say that's true for me, but it's almost like a reverse engineering where that's the intentionality from Jump Street rather than an afterthought of, oh, I didn't fully get there. It's like, I I have to see the humanity in the person before I build all the, look how scary I am. So from the get-go, it's like, how do you, how do you play a serial killer? It's like, it's not that hard. Not because I'm so good. It's because my method is, humanize them because they weren't murdering people when they were five years old um and then once you know that emotional component as you said once we build that and make that honest then you can do all the dc marvel stuff of i'm gonna i'm gonna do this shifty thing with my eyes and then i'm gonna lick my lips and stick my tongue out randomly and then i'm gonna that's just that's wallpaper the foundation is the emotional thing and and making it human and honest so that people awkwardly connect with someone they never thought they would connect with. And why? Well, because they're still human for better or for worse. And and in that element of creating the the humanistic aspect of this character, was it how was it helpful in having those scenes where we see elements from his childhood? We see the dynamic with his dad and even just the relationship that he has with his brother along the way and his brother really being someone that stayed by his side this whole time. Yeah, uh, having having that to work with mentally was super helpful. It's forgive, oh, forgive me. Leave that yawn in. Let's keep it human, <laughs> as we're saying. Let's keep it human. I'm gonna make mistakes in interviews. Um, that backstory of Larry Hall working for his father and being psychologically abused I think maybe even physically abused I'd have to go back and look at my notes I don't remember everything but knowing that just really sets the tone for what we think is normal right so his sort of fascination with dead people and burying people and stuff 
it's not even him going, God, I love to kill. It's saying you were born in a situation in which this was normalized. So the way some men talk about fantasy football, you might be talking about the decomposition of a human body. And so it's that specificity. Knowing his background allows me to have the intentionality to go, okay, it's, I'm not just being scary. I'm having reasons for why I'm effed up. And they happen to be very scary. And in working with Sharon Edgerton in all of these scenes, because the location is a prison and often a very confined space within that, there's really not much space to, to move around and utilize it. And yet all of these scenes feel incredibly electric and incredibly dynamic in the way that the two of you have approached it. And so how did you use small choices, like even just having him like lean on walls or lean on surfaces a lot as a representation of kind of feeling very emotionally trapped without an out? let um to really kind of make the space feel dynamic even if it's physically quite confined when you're filming yeah um good catch yeah no him my face up against the cold wall or leaning or just putting my palms against it part of it is just the human reality of you are so burdened by thought and your body has taken on that trauma you know the, the body keeps score, right? Um, you're, you literally feel the unconscious need to lean on stuff all the time and be sitting and stuff. Um, and then also, uh, it's kind of playing Larry like a cat. What are cats? Cats are independent. They kind of just do their own thing. But they also kind of have this lingering somebody love me thing where they're like almost darkly flirtatious, you know? And I think that's, what Larry was doing with, with Jimmy is he was, he's in his own lane, but he's going to kind of swerve into yours a little bit. And it's going to feel like you don't know if it's on purpose or not. And that was some of the body language, I think. And it does, it does give a sense of, of there being a genuine happiness and a genuine joy at believing this friendship is a real thing as, as it builds oh. and develops between the two of them. I mean, it becomes someone that he trusts enough to reveal his secrets that he hasn't discussed with anyone else around him. Um, and so how did you kind of approach calibrating, okay, this is where he's going to feel comfortable enough to tell him this piece of information, or, you know, this is the joy that he's going to get from being able to share something with somebody else. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all in the writing. Dennis really meticulously strategically like found those, those turning points and those beats but um, because the writing was so good, I then like took it and was like, okay, well now uh, I'm not going to do the same smile I did two episodes ago. This smile has to look different from that one because there's a different reason he smiled. You know, it's all, it's all those little things that become really fun to plant in and try to reward the audience with, uh, with the unspoken information, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's also that interesting moment where he basically is saying happiness is a choice. And so did you feel like there were moments for him where it's kind of a projection of happiness versus a, a genuine happiness or what was his relationship to, to that? Did you think? Yeah. I mean, happiness is a choice said from Larry Hall to me, would I interpret that to mean uh, <clears throat> what Paul says in the new Testament, you know, 
uh, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. <clears throat> now, that can be a good thing because it's a great attitudinal stance to find contentment, but it's bad if you find contentment in a toxic situation. So it's very, it's very double-sided. I hate doing this because I did it as Larry and I just did it as myself. And I realized once again, yourself coming into the character, that would have been an unconscious thing. That is me that I'm doing as Larry. Oh, I just self-correct. I just like corrected myself in real time. That was, oh, that's a terrible feeling. Leave that in for the love of God. Let's keep it real here. Uh, yeah, he's he's not happy, but he's saying he's happy because it would be too detrimental to face facts and realize what you've what your spirit and brain have been soaking in the past twenty years. Yeah. One, one of the things that, that was so successful in, in creating this very off-kilted, unbalanced unease in him are those moments where he's in conversations with Jimmy and he's just in his own world and kind of even just like closing his eyes because Jimmy's talking about something that he's connecting into in a way that uh, he's not even engaging in the conversation at that point. He's just there for himself and his own, his own thoughts. Um, was that something that was in Dennis's writing that specificity of detail or, or where did that come from? Because it's something that, that plays so well. The times that I close my eyes entirely, um, like when we're talking about cars, that that was in the writing. Um, and then there were occasions where I would just have a far off look or I'd be in my head and then I would choose to, I would, I had a thing that I did with Larry where I purposely would repeat Taryn's lines because the character is repeating them in his head as if to say, did I hear that right before I answer you? Um, also kind of a cheat to be like, I'm going to process exactly what you said in real time out loud so that I can give the character's response and show the mechanics of thought. But, um, but it was also because he's always in this other world playing a character like Larry, you have to mentally multitask. When I, when I do a movie like late night with Mindy Kaling or a movie like uh, national anthem that I just did with Sydney Sweeney, I'm in a one track zone, a one track space where I don't have to multitask. Larry, I'm having to think multiple thoughts at once so that Jimmy's voice does kind of come in as a whisper or an echo rather than immediate. So I'm going, oh, oh, no. yeah, uh, and, and kind of answering in real time that way. I mean, the multitasking in terms of the different ways that you kind of respond and, and off balance him also means that as you're watching the show, you really never know how he's going to respond to something or what he's going to say next. Um, did you kind of, would you go into scenes? Cause these scenes are incredibly lengthy as well. So there's so many different dynamics that you're hitting. Like you said, would you go into scenes with kind of a conceptualization or an idea of, okay, I think this is maybe what he's going to do in response to this, or was it really playing off Taryn and just kind of feeling it in the moment? I would, I would say this about, I would say this about the multitask and, and playing opposite Taryn. I, I there's there's that thing in the Hamlet, right? Is it Hamlet where it's like you ask the guard what Hamlet's about? He's going to tell you, well, it's about a guard who. Um, I Larry, Larry is that way. 
he's he's kind of in his own world he's the guard who thinks he's hamlet and he's operating in that sense so the mental multitask is me walking into a scene and going here's the main objective here's what comes out of it for the audience but i'm also thinking about god these shoes are uncomfortable wow i I think i kind of miss ice cream um I'm thinking about murdering a woman. I don't like the temperature in the room and Jimmy's speaking. So when you see that thing I did, whatever we'd call it, it's, it is that mental gymnastics of, of piling things on. And, and so the, the outcome of that type of thinking is spontaneous. And as I was doing it, I was not aware of what it looked like. It wasn't like, I'm like, doing it in the mirror it's all internalized and then the hope is that you don't look like an abject fool playing the character um if does that make sense it's kind of like yeah. it's kind of like doing it a little bit blindfolded and that's not always the case for my acting there were things in richard jewel that i did where i'm like i know exactly what that looks like this is the word i choose to cry on this is the bite i choose to take like there was exactitude there with Larry. It was like to have to have exactitude for 12 pages or 10 pages, whatever it was like, that is exhausting. And like, I don't think I want to do that unless, unless I absolutely have to. Yeah. And I think it was, it was it one of the scenes kind of later in episode five that was like very like kind of like the confession moment that was like very specifically um Dennis wanting to do that as a one take and and was that some would he do that a lot with those scenes or what was the difference when you knew okay we're trying to we're trying to get everything we're trying to make this a wonder yeah I I think that was probably the director and the cinematographer I don't I don't know that that was a Dennis thing maybe it was but they had they had communicated to me like, hey, we're gonna do this one we're gonna do it the slowest push in you've ever seen. And then we turn around onto you and we want you to end. We want you to in the dance, we need you to end your dialogue as we end the movement, basically. That I don't know if that's hard or easy to do. I just did it. I didn't really think about it. I was just like, just show up, believe you're going to get it. Um, and we got it. And that's like one of the best parts of the whole show, in my opinion, like that camera movement with that really brilliantly written speech, like that's, uh, yeah, that, that turned out really well. I also wanted to ask you about the the two different scenes where essentially he's admitting to what he's done because it's it's a very different dynamic when he's talking to Jimmy about it versus when it's his brother like with his brother it feels like the gloves have really come off and like you've seen me for who I am for the first time and you've never looked at me in this way and with Jimmy again it just kind of feels a bit like he's in his own world in the moment that he's talking about it and it's it's more for him than for Jimmy Um, and so how did you view the difference in what you wanted those dynamics to be where essentially he's admitting to the same information but to two different people in two very different ways yeah I mean when he when Jimmy shouts at me in the in the workshop I'm 
I'm not even thinking about the atrocities I've done. I'm still in the clear in my mind. Um, I'm just thinking about the betrayal. So that moment, even though it's a confession to the audience, Beaumont sent you or whatever, like that's more for the audience, for the character. I'm still believing I'm in the right. You betrayed me. How did I let this happen? What are the implications? Um, with the brother, with um, with the with the brother character, it's like, dude, that's that's him going. Yeah, I secretly know this is bad, but aren't we somehow getting away with this? Aren't isn't there a familial enmeshment and a shared trauma that relieves me of having to deal with this? And the moment his brother played brilliantly by Jake McLaughlin, by the way, like that dude is awesome. Um, I love him. It, that moment that he calls me on it, I have to rehear it where I'm like, what? Say that again. Like, it, because I hear voices in my head all the time. It's like, say that again. Let me make sure that it's you saying, oh, it is you saying, it? oh, you're telling me to, oh, I'm stuck here forever. Oh, you look at me the way the world looks at me. Oh my gosh. Like that's, and by the way, that's a real thing. Forget serial killers. How many of us need someone on occasion throughout our lives to sit us down and go, this isn't, this isn't right. Or you're doing this the wrong way. And it can be mo monumentally crippling to us in the moment. Cause that can be hard to hear, but it's for our benefit. And, uh, you know, uh, Larry, Larry also, we have the little title card that says he tried to kill himself. That's as much of an indictment as him saying it out loud, because clearly he wasn't trying to kill himself prior to staying behind bars and having to face that, you know. And in that in that scene with Taryn, where, you know, Larry's kind of realizing the truth of everything, that it wasn't yeah. a real friendship. It wasn't everything that he thought was true about that dynamic isn't. And he resolves to anger. Um, it sounded like there was a real opportunity to like improv a lot of those moments. And is that a really helpful thing where it's less about, okay, I've got to make sure that like, as I'm, as I'm bringing this anger to the surface that I'm getting all the lines right and just kind of expressing whatever you feel the character has in that instance in a different way. I was really worried when I signed on to this project because Dennis is not a normal writer. He's a celebrated writer. He's very cerebral. And so I, I, I thought maybe this is like the Sorkin Coen brother thing. You have to be word perfect and, um, and F you if you're not. So I didn't know going in, but like I kind of flirted with it early on and improvised a little bit and I could tell Dennis didn't love it. And then he ended up using some of those takes where I did improvise. So clearly he doesn't not love it. Um, and then in the end, I, I didn't even know what was going to be used. I kept it to the script with uh, the freak out scene. But at the very end, I went up to our director and I said, hey, I need uh I need a take of exertion or I need it. I need to exhaust this. I need to, it wasn't even about the show. It was kind of about me. I said, I need to exercise the, this demon and give me a take where it's a full on violent verbal exhalation. And so what comes out of my mouth is horrendous. 
Um, but I think that's kind of the demon of Larry Hall or whatever talking and, and getting it out. And that's the one they chose to use. So I don't know. I, I think there was, a, there was a quote I saw early on that I thought Jack Nicholson might've said, where he said, if you have an instinct, go for it because um, it's either brilliant and they'll use it. Or if it's not take two. So I, I tend to be from that school of thought. I think that's great. Well, it's been so interesting hearing all the details that went into this character because it's it's such a, a complicated and, and nuanced performance that you've given in the show. So I want to congratulate you on everything with that. And thank you so much for talking about it today. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it.